Twitch wanted me to buy a Honda. Whoa. <laughs> Jesus, Twitch. <laughs> everyone, welcome to what is normally BXP Bicons Presents Letters Edged in Black. Tonight we're going to do something a little bit different because unfortunately some situations happened uh, and it's just me and Danielle. <laughs> we were the only people who were available. Uh, Hi everyone! So for your viewing pleasure, uh, we're going to actually do a bonus experience episode live. Um, Woo! It's not me and Ray, it's going to be me and Danielle. BXP, as always, is a podcast with a deeper look at the play experience and the finer details of running and writing games. Hosted, again, as always, by two queer women speaking with authority about games. And if you aren't familiar with the show, we swear, you can die mad about it. Danielle, you want to introduce yourself? I am Danielle Lozon. I am a game designer, a freelance writer, an author. I mostly do a lot of work with Onyx Path Publishing. And I am also currently the GM for our Blades in the Dark game, Letters Edged in Black. That's it. That's me. Hey everybody, I'm, I'm Monica, normally one half of Bonus Experience. If you don't listen to BXP, then you don't know anything about me. Uh, I am also a game designer, developer, and author. Also for the Onyx Path, which is how I know Danielle. So tonight we want to actually talk about a specific part of game design that I know Danielle feels really strongly about, and of course I agree with, and that is designing a game to make sure that it contains goals and conflict. Yeah, let's get to it. So I think what we need to do first is kind of define what we mean by goals and conflict. For everybody, it's going to be a little different of what mm -hmm. you specifically mean by it. But in general, what do players do in your game? What are they supposed to be doing? And that that is the goal that we're talking about, not just what their personal goals are, their character goals, or even the GM's goals. We're talking like, what is your game doing? And how are you ensuring that your players are doing that at the table? So is there an experience that you want a player to be able to have at the table and then design your game to enable that experience? And, and a good example that is silly, but I'm going to include it anyway, is Exalted has a goal <laughs> at the table in which players grab an insane amount of dice, <laughs> shake them in their meaty paws, and then roll them at the table. And that is... <laughs> A design goal of Exalted. And so if you look at charms, if you look at excellencies, if you look at everything that you're allowed to do in Exalted, they're all designed towards that goal. That doesn't mean, though, that everything you're doing needs to be like, you know, I want players to have this, this like physical feeling. It can also just be like, what experience? emotions do you want them to experience at the table? Is your game about sadness and loss? Is it about being heroic? Is it about being anti-heroic? Is it about skullduggery? You know, what is it that your players are doing? Are they thieves? Are they planning heists? Are they planning heists or are they doing heists? What part of these things are, the, are, are they doing at the table? And so that's a goal you have to think about before you think about your setting, before you think about anything like that. To springboard off of the Exalted thing, sure, throwing a coffee can's worth of dice onto your table <laughs> is a 
goal, but like the end of that goal is to create the experience of being an extremely competent, hyper powerful superhero demigod. The buckets of dice, the uh, I, I rolled 50 dice and now I have to count numbers for 15 minutes. Um, that, like, that feeling is part of the design experience that that game intends to create to make characters feel extremely powerful. And big number feel good in brain, as we stated in one of our other previous episodes. Those two things go together. It isn't just buckets of dice. It's buckets of dice with, a, with an end. Like, and right. so that goal is what they're shooting for. And then when we talk about conflict, conflict is what drives story, in my opinion. And conflict doesn't have to be combat. That's not what I mean when I say conflict. It's not what everybody means when they say conflict. Some people, that is what they mean, and that's okay. But the conflict should be, what are the, the characters struggling against? What's either stopping them from experiencing the the goal that you're attempting to get them to experience or what lies in their way that allows essentially a moving part you have this moving part that is clearly an issue in some way shape or form and it drives the players towards the goal that you're searching for right if you want them to be thieves we'll use that example then it's not very exciting to just steal shit off the street that's not really a heist so a giant museum filled with priceless antiques that has a crazy security system. Now that is a conflict. That is the thing that you're going to go break into. And then there are people who don't want you to steal that stuff. And they are part of that conflict. So what is it that drives your story forward? Also, like, why are you stealing these things? Why are you thieves? What is the conflict that creates your thieving necessary? Did you see Ocean's 8? I did. It was so yeah, good. Yeah, it was super good. But uh, it's a great example because uh, you brought up thieves and heists. There is no violence in Ocean's 8 at all. There's plenty of conflict. Um, in fact, I think it's a really excellent example of how you can tell a story and have it have intense action and conflict without a second of violence. Because usually, like, in heist stories, there's usually a character whose job is being, like, Mr. Gun or Mrs. Explosions or, like, mm -hmm. the Fist mm -hmm. Man or whatever. Like, there's usually someone whose job it is to be the muscle. Like you said, violence isn't necessary for conflict. And in fact, even in those kind of stories, like, conflict between even the player characters. Like, if you're writing a game where the struggle is intra-party, like, if you're doing some sort of D&D-esque, you know, fantasy partying adventure, but then you've added the additional conflict of like the party is internally in conflict with each other. And that's one of your things as part of your design goals. Like you could, you could create that experience as well. It doesn't always have to be external. And so, you know, when we talk about like, why do we care about having these goals? Like what, what is the purpose of it? And what is the purpose of the conflict? So, you know, it's really hard to explain to somebody, Hey, I want you to play this game in which you're all playing princesses. Go have fun playing princesses. If I don't tell you what the goals are, or at least give you some kind of idea of what the goals are, you're not going to know how to play the game. Like, I don't have to state up front, you're going to play princesses who are magical warriors with alternate forms. Essentially, we're going to go play Sailor Moon. But I don't, I'm not going to tell you we're going to play Sailor Moon. That's not how I'm going to describe it to you. Because if I do that, then you're going to have all sorts of immediate reactions of, oh, but I know what Sailor Moon's about already. So how do I explain it to you without telling you, go look at this media and that's what your game is going to be. 
And so that's kind of why these goals are important because sometimes there is media to fall back on and you can say like, yeah, here's all this stuff that you already know about. And so you're just gonna like do those kind of stories. But sometimes you're trying to introduce something that nobody's, well, you're never gonna introduce something that nobody's seen before, but you're gonna try to introduce it in a way that is unique. And when you do that, you really need to give people the tools to tell the story that you're looking for them to be telling. I'm just thinking about your Sailor Moon example and like without these two things, how it is difficult to explain what you're trying to get across. And so I was like, if I was making a Sailor Moon game without trying to tell someone that exactly, but expressing it through goals and conflicts, like how would I do that? Because this is certainly something I've thought about a lot. So I think if I were making a game based on Sailor Moon, well, first off, I have to clarify that I'm talking about the manga. It's very different than the 90s show and has a particularly different goal and conflict than the Saturday morning cartoon that many of us are in our age bracket grew up in love, which I also love, don't get me wrong. The goal of something like that is more like, I want to create the experience of playing a superhero, Mm -hmm. because that's, you know, it's definitely what magical girls are. I want to create the experience of like, I think some degree of feminist or femininity is important. I don't want to say women specifically, but like, femininity or feminist is part of the magical girl thing because I don't want to leave any non-binary magical girls out of this either and I think like tying into the manga like there's a whole lot of past lives and mythological stuff and like real epic big scale things so I would I guess I'd kind of encapsulate all that into like a cosmic fantasy feeling those three experiences would really be like my goals there And conflicts are obviously, you know, monster of the week kind of thing, which is present in the manga as well as in the show. And then there's always some sort of evil existential threat that comes lurking around towards the end. Uh, Evil planets and galaxy devouring horrors and other (laughs) big scale, massive cosmic things that are coming to, to tear the world apart. Only you and your plucky group of buddies can stand between it and the world's untimely destruction. And that repeats itself cyclically. You also have in those, and specifically those kind of like magical girl shows in general, like you do have that world ending conflict that everybody has to get together and solve. But you also have these conflicts that are interpersonal. I mean, those are really important for those kind of uh, stories. That's worth also adding to the list of conflicts. Like I've had, I've certainly had plenty of design discussions about like how to do Magical Girl. And I think I always sort of gloss over the interpersonal one too much. And that I'm putting on me. I'm more fascinated with the stopping the cosmic horror part. That's just me and my taste. They are both equally valid. Right. But if you're designing the game, you may find that your game focuses more on the cosmic existential horror i say horror but like bad thing that could happen bad thing that could happen yeah as you are magical girls saving the day and that is your design goal because you think that's more not necessarily more important but more interesting to you right where i may design that same game and the thing that i think is more important or more interesting to me are the interpersonal things and like you have to solve all the interpersonal things and then when you do like you just all turn into magical like you know your magic forms and defeat the bad guys and that's just like a given but -hmm. you can't do that at all until you've solved all your interpersonal stuff for the episode right Right. and those games would look very very different in my opinion and they would play very differently i definitely would despite both being based on the same source material right because i have different goals than you do so (laughs) Here's why having goals and knowing what your goals are is very important. 
So what can happen if a game doesn't have these things? I've seen essentially this thing happen where the goal of the game is not extremely clear up front and the players then kind of pull their own goals or their own ideas of what they should be doing in the game. And when they come down and sit down at the table together and they start playing, they realize that they all have different ideas of how you how you should be playing this game and what you should be doing at the table and what the experience at the table is supposed to be. And they butt heads about like what what's supposed to be happening here. So you you wind up having maybe some like conflicting ideas, like how do I play this game? What's the goal of this game? And and you end up having some player tension. You could also end up with some like really weird things or situations happening or the game just doesn't play the same each time. And by pl not play the same, like not every single game is going to be the same, but wildly different. So really the thing is, is that, you know, stuff can happen that's unforeseen. Your, your GM can have a hard time keeping people focused. And as a GM, you can have a hard time coming up with story. I can give this anecdote of, uh, I see it happen a lot in LARPs. I see a lot of LARPs that are designed not necessarily about uh, with goals in mind. What, are, what do you do in this game is almost never a, a like design goal when designing a LARP. Often there's a little bit of a design goal. What is the conflict? That yeah. is often the biggest question in a LARP. Like who are you is a question. And then what are you up against is a question. But how do you do that? What are you supposed to be doing to engage with that conflict? Those questions never really get asked or answered. And so I will see, you know, very successful LARPs have people who are like, well, this is how you're supposed to engage with this game. And other people say, no, you're wrong. You should be engaging with it this way. You know, one that comes to mind almost immediately is Vampire LARP. People will say, you know, you play Vampire LARP to play against other characters. Like you play a LARP in this game instead of a tabletop in this game because you want to inter have these interpersonal relationships in which you are literally pitting your intelligence against another player's intelligence. And you are making these PvP actions because your player is attempting to like actually get some kind of conflict with the other player with their characters as proxy. And there are other people who are like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Just like in tabletop, it, my characters interact with other characters, whether those are non-player characters or player characters, it doesn't matter, right? This is about us having conflict, but not necessarily violence or anything like that. But we're not pitting our own smarts. We're not just using our characters as proxies. Our characters are the most important things here. And then other people will say, no, 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 no. We shouldn't be interacting with our characters at all. We should always be solving plots. And then other people will say, but who cares about plot? Like, we just want to sit around and like, wax poetic about the history of you know this deep setting and explore this rich setting amongst ourselves and it it's all because honestly especially a game like vampire the masquerade in older editions a lot of vampire in in the iterations a lot of the game has said so you've seen all this vampire media, right? You get to play the vampires go have fun i mean a lot of people think they know what that means and so they play the game and, you know, I've done that for a very long time. I, I mean, you certainly have authority to talk about Vampire. She's the line developer for Vampire the Requiem 2nd Edition, in case the audience didn't know that. I can't right. remember if you said that up top. I don't think you did. I um, didn't say that because it's, it's one of those things. 
The problem with Vampire is that it, it is, in a lot of ways, there's either this like really set rigid plot. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all this setting that has been built into Vampire the Masquerade. Everybody knows those stories from reading the books. And so when you play the game, people want to kind of maybe play the story, but then they also want to tell their own story. And it's really like, there's a lot of conflict about what are you actually doing in this game? Like, what are the stories you're telling as a player? And the the game doesn't actually really answer that. Players answer that and have been answering that for years. And I think they've been doing an okay job of it, right? I think that I don't think that the players have been doing anything wrong. I think that they've been doing essentially what the game has told them to do, which is whatever the fuck they want. Which, you know, if you're doing it at a tabletop, you know, that's great because it means that you're you're just, you know, everybody's probably going to have an agreement of what they want to play. But if you're doing that as a live action game with 30 people, then you're going to end up with some headbutting on what's actually the most important part of this game and how you're supposed to be engaging with it. But there are other LARPs that suffer from the same issue of we've given you all these things that you can do, but we really didn't think about what you're supposed to be doing. And so our mechanics don't necessarily support what we say you're supposed to do. Hmm. I think there's plenty of traditional tabletop games that also have that problem where (laughs) the mechanics don't match what the game's says you're supposed to do and i think yep. that's that's a fundamental design flaw and maybe a topic for another time uh, <laughs> because if your rules don't match the experience you intend to create then you as the designer are unsuccessful yeah and i think when we talk about these goals and these conflicts the reason that they're so important so so important is because when you go to design your mechanics, when you go to essentially tell people how to play your game, how to engage with the rich setting you've created, if you do not give them the tools to engage with the goal via your mechanics, your goal is meaningless. Like, right. who, who cares what your goal is? <laughs> people are gonna do what your mechanics tell them to do. Right. Your mechanics are the, the number one driver of your goal. Uh, I think that's a really good jumping point off into our next topic, which is let's talk about some good examples of games that do this well. You wrote down a list of games that I 100% agree with, and they include Blades in the Dark, Trinity Continuum, which we both worked on, uh, Scion, which we both worked on, Seventh Sea, which you worked on, uh, D&D, which neither of us worked on, um, and (laughs) (laughs) and Exalted. So Exalted is ripe with conflict though it has design goals but like the goal of what is it that you do is perhaps lacking in direction and it's more like there's so many things you could possibly do that it's hard to go well exalted is about this i've tried to introduce some new people to it recently and they're like well what's exalted about and i'm like (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) it's about holding your breath dramatically right it's about (laughs) A coffee can full of D10s. Yeah, and it does have mechanics that encourage you to play extremely powerful characters in a very original, big, epic, ridiculous setting and basically go full batshit as much as possible. And the rules are like, yeah, go ahead, do it. We want you to. As far as design goals go, it does in fact have them. As far as what do player characters do, there is so much on that list that I have a hard time pinning it down. This is Exalted's evergreen problem. It is just 
so much. And at this point, it's a game that's what, 20 years old? So yeah, it does have that issue of, of having a lot of stuff. It, like, it has a lot of conflicts, a lot of stuff to do. Oh yeah, there's, there's lots of stuff going on. There's no end of stuff going on. Right, doesn't necessarily though tell you how you're supposed to engage with that information. Right. And that is an issue. You know, I had on that list, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. And I honestly think Dungeons and Dragons has a very specific goal. It's very narrow, but it does what its goal is very well, in my opinion. So Dungeons and Dragons is a combat simulator. Right. And it's such a good combat simulator. It's beautiful. You, you want to dive into a dungeon and beat up a bunch of monsters and get loot. Do that in D&D. It's so amazing. Everything else you want to do about it. I saw somebody wanting to run like a heist game as a D&D game. And I'm like, no. why don't you play Leverage? Right. Why don't you play Blades in the Dark? Like there right. are systems that are will give you that feel without you having to hammer D&D into the mold that you want it to be in. When your game knows it's designed well and knows its goal well, it does become hard to use it to do other goals, in my opinion. So that could be a good thing for you. It could maybe be a bad thing for you. It's not as flexible. Yeah. So let's talk about Trinity Continuum. So Trinity Continuum, all accolades about the direction of Trinity Continuum go to Ian Watson. He, mm -hmm. he was the original developer on the book and he put the outline together. And one of the things that he wanted to do was to not just have this be like a, a blue book, like a Chronicles of Darkness core book, where you, it's just a stepping stone into all the other books that will come after. And you don't really play a core game. If you do, it's a little stilted or not as fun because you're, you're not powerful characters. You're just dudes, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> just dudes. Yeah. Just dudes. And so, you know, he was like, hey, I want to essentially take daredevils from adventure and make them into the playable character for Trinity Continuum. We're going to call them talents. And it's just going to be your basic lucky daredevil characters. They're talents and they're in the, that's what you play. You know, you can play all of these, like essentially anything that is competence porn in a movie or a TV show or anything like that. That's what you can play in this game. And that is pretty much what was described to me when I'm, you know, I have to write up who the talents are, what they are. It's like, go read Daredevils and then make sure that that's like set in a modern setting and like have in mind all of these media things in which people are hyper competent to the point where they're practically supernatural. They just don't realize it. Knowing that that was the goal for the whole book, when I came on to help finish the development on the book, it was very easy to make sure that the mechanics that we had already written for Story Path in general fit that mold really well. And it was super easy to go through all the gifts and ensure that the talents were capable of doing these things extraordinarily well. Right. And a lot of that, besides the like core systems, which you were responsible for doing the finishing development on, was the, the powers that talents can access called gifts, which I did right. a lot of work on. And because I was a big adventure fan, and still am, there's not really a was about it, I knew exactly how to write the thing that we were looking for because I was intimately familiar with playing a daredevil and exactly how that's supposed to work. You know, uh, talents can do things like 
I've been doing so much cyan work. I'm trying to think of, <laughs> of, of what gifts were that I wrote six years ago. <laughs> so, so, I mean, in general, talents can do things like dodge a bullet, but not know that they're doing that thing, right? right? Like, it's not that they dodged a bullet. It's that you're gun jammed or you misfired or they'll do a thing like, oh, you know what? I would normally run out of bullets here, but I'm super lucky and ridiculous. So I'm Legolas who like always has a fucking arrow in his sheath. No, no matter how many of those I shoot. <laughs> here's, here's one of the ones that I'm pretty sure that I wrote. And also, because we, we also had a bunch of different ideas. So we, a bunch of us had the same idea. So a bunch of them got merged together. But yeah. This is one of my favorite ones that's in here called, But Before I Die, which makes you, lets you spend an inspiration, which is the general like powers thing that talents get to have um your character provokes someone into a monologue about their plans or anything really buying time they spend their next action monologuing instead of doing anything else if they can use source they may spend they may attempt to resist roll command plus manipulation versus their integrity or composure which is the you sly dog you've caught me monologuing <laughs> ability <laughs> right yep <laughs> yeah so it's things like that uh one that lets you be like super good with uh, any improvised weapon, also courtesy of me, that may, you may recognize that that appears in other places because I really like that kind of ability. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other really fun ones in here lets you convince minor characters and other like henchmen and goons to, to recognize the error of their ways and run away from you instead of fighting you because, you know, they're just being manipulated by the big boss and all sorts of fun stuff for playing. Like, it's definitely a really great supplement for playing just a regular guy who isn't really just a regular guy. Yeah, so I think we, we already touched on games that are bad examples and how to avoid doing that. Like, so, or rather why, why you don't want to do that. So right, to right. wrap this up, I think let's talk about when we're creating our own games, like what, we, what can you do when you're writing your own material to avoid this pitfall and not basically create something that's, I don't want to say unusable, but perhaps lacking in direction. You know, my own personal advice on that would just be to always have your goal in mind. Essentially ask yourself before you ever even start, like you're like, I have an idea for, for a cyberpunk game. Cool. Cyberpunk is a loaded word. What are your characters doing in that game? Right. What do you want them to do? And then every single thing you do from writing up the setting to writing up the mechanics is to keep that goal in mind and to ensure that your mechanics are supporting that goal. The, that you're, you know, do you want this to be about hacking your way through the world? Then you need to have a 50-page hacking section in your book. Maybe not 50 right. pages, but you need to have a really robust hacking section. And if you don't ever really want there to be combat, you know, then just be like, yeah, violence happens. It's a role. Right. Right. Don't make a bunch of rules for something that you don't actually want to see happen in your game. Always keep that goal in mind and how you want people to engage with that goal and how they want how you are going to move people towards that goal so that they experience what you want to, them to experience at the table. <laughs> Do not right. forget your goal. Don't ever lose sight of it. Yeah. If your game's not about fighting monsters, then it doesn't need a robust combat system. Right. On the flip side, if your game is entirely about fighting monsters, then it should be all combat system. I think there's some like kind of current feelings that like any sort of combat system is bad or like any sort of violence is bad or that sort of thing. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think you need to be writing the systems that fit the game you want to make. Like if you're making an intimate game about 
two people coming to a decision, which I think is basically Senda's, Senda Leno from She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark's turning point. Obviously, that's not going to have combat mechanics. That's not what that game is about. That's about, like, making a hard decision. And it's an intimate game, and it's about interpersonal conflict, and there's all sorts of, like, there's tons of conflict and goals there, but they aren't about fighting. And your game can have both, right? Your game can be about interpersonal issues and violence you can have a game that does both like get you one that can do both you know whatever (laughs) but make sure that your rules enable both make sure that your rules don't highlight one over the other and one of the things i will say is that you know in the case of say trinity continuum you know we have three areas of action in the story path system we have combat physical area of action we also have a social area of action and an intrigue area of action And the story path system does give a lot of focus to the combat section, to the physical area of action. It is your primary way of engaging with the world around you, but the social system is not pathetic. It's pretty robust. And so if you want to take social actions to deal with a situation, there are a lot of tools for you to do that. Also, the same with investigation. It's not just roll a die to notice something is going on. Instead, there's an entire clue mechanic for picking up clues and for investigating things and for investigating people. Those mechanics are separate from combat and they're very very robust as well. But again, they don't have as much space in the book as combat. And so for the most part, people are gonna recognize that this is action adventure. And you can do action adventure by doing a noir detective novel, or you can do it by socializing somebody and, you know, you could do your Bioware game, but it is action adventure in the sense that there's going to be a lot of that combat action going on and ways to deal with combat that aren't necessarily violence. There are ways in combat to do things that don't necessarily involve doing damage to each other. Yeah, it is an action-adventure system. It's not a murder-each-other system. Uh, And one of the things that StoryPath does particularly well to tie those three areas of action together is that all of them use the same base mechanics to work together. Both the mechanic called stunts, which are basically things you buy with successes that let you do extra stuff, is the thing that makes up the backbone of both the combat system and the investigation system. And I don't remember that the social system has quite as robust stunts off the top of my head, but it does interact with the same like spending successes, that sort of thing. It does. It it doesn't have the same kind of stunts. And honestly, like thinking back on it, had I thought harder about it at the time, I probably would have built in some social stunts. You know, when you wrote this outline, I like wrote this thing, and I think I still want to talk about it a little bit, which is an anecdote about Ripple Effect, which is the game I'm designing for Metatopia this weekend. Um, And I have been designing for a couple of years now, off and on. It's not like I've been, you know, every day working on it. The goal I have for Ripple Effect, I have a goal and I have a conflict, but making sure that I'm designing in service of those two things is actually a little difficult because the game itself is create a setting. The very first thing that the players do is create the setting in which their their game is going to happen. And throughout the game, part of playing the game is continuing to design that setting mm-hmm. and change that setting through gameplay. And so while it's not a game about world building, it has very strong world building elements in it. But what the goal of the game is that it's this episodic procedural play style game in which the ultimate goal of the players, uh, the conflict is that 
it doesn't matter what's going on or where you're from or what your setting is something absolutely horrible is happening there's an impending doom a crisis that you must avert in some way the only way to avert it you cannot do so it is so big and impending it is the sun is exploding the universe is contracting your entire world is beset by an incurable plague the only way to fix it is to venture out into other dimensions like a parallel universes and make changes kind of like your sliders from you know the 1990s tv show that i loved so very much and then went back and watched on hulu and was very disappointed in that <laughs> it does not uphold to my nostalgia but whatever <laughs> so that's the, the goal of the game the experience is is to get this feeling like you're going into a different dimension and you're going to do something there you're going to make some kind of change that in that dimension which will come back home as a ripple effect and hopefully save the day but I can't tell you what that's going to look like because your world is going to be different. The dimensions you create around that world are going to be different every time you make a new game. So ensuring that people still have that table feel no matter what their whatever setting they built is, is a very interesting and unique problem because I can't do it with setting. I have to specifically do it with mechanics. And so I have to help them design their, their worlds to fit that goal. Um, we're at a little over an hour. Remember to tune in for Letters Edged in Black, which will be our live BXP live stream every other Sunday, uh, starting at 8.30 Eastern, 7.30 Central, right here. So subscribe um, and get the notification when that's happening. Also, listen to Bonus Experience if you don't already, which is part of the Misdirected Mark Network. Uh, as you can see, the MMP logo that popped up at the start of it. You can listen to that at bxpcast.com or by subscribing to it in the podcast app of your choice. You can drop us a five-star review. We'd love it, especially if you really like the show. Say nice things about us. It is the least you can do. And lastly, one last plug, BXP has a partnership with Nerdy Kepi, um, which is a place where you can get all kinds of really awesome queer swag. Really cool pride gear. I have a pair of bisexual pride galaxy shoes that are really fucking cool looking. If you go to nerdykepi.com, that's N-E-R-D-Y-K-E-P-P-I-E.com, use promo code BXPCAST at checkout and you'll get 10% off your order. Uh, and we get money and you support a local queer owned business. It's awesome. Danielle, if they want to follow you, where can they find you on the internet? They can find me at Danielle is on Harper on Facebook. They can also find me on Impernius on Twitter, and I'm eventually going to have a website, but you know, whatever. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at Zenith Sun. All right, I think we're done. Thanks for tuning in, five loyal listeners. We yes. appreciate you dearly. We Thanks deeply. for listening. Thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> All right, everybody get out. Let's go. Let's get out of here. All right. All right. Change it if you want to. Do I have to do this? Really? Fine. Bones Experience is written and produced by Monica and Ray. And edited by Margaret. What the fuck? You didn't even plan on giving me credit? Our logo and art is by Nino Studios. Find her on Facebook and Instagram. Our theme song is Reuse Noise with the Light by CDK and is used under the Attribution Non-Commercial Creative Commons License. BXP is part of the Misdirected Mark Network. What? No, I'm not going to make a stupid gaming pun. Bye.